1: You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
0: This is Cork Today. Cork Today. With JP McNamara on C103. Cork's greatest hits, C103.
3: And good morning. It is Thursday's Cork today. Bernie, taking your calls and comments this morning. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three, or you can text or WhatsApp zero eight six two one zero three one zero three. You can email across the morning jp at c one zero three dot or tweet us at c one zero three cork. And ahead on the program, something that we discussed earlier this week. A lot of calls still coming into us on this to do with tourism and people who are booking Airbnbs and traveling from all over the. Country. Country, It would seem uh, to some of those Airbnbs are indeed just the Cork area, uh, well outside their 5k to these Airbnbs they are renting. So now it, that's calls coming from the tourism industry because those who run and are running self-employed themselves. All their self-catering businesses, they're all closed and have been now for quite some time. They now want a level playing field when it comes to this industry. At the moment, self-catering, they can only accommodate essential workers while Airbnb is just open to all, it would seem. So we're discussing that shortly on the programme with the Cork Southwest West Deputy Christopher O'Sullivan, who is raising that issue and wants this changed. And as we know by now, yesterday afternoon, the three major teaching unions have voted in favour of a motion for industrial action including strikes, that is the ASTI, the INTU and the TUI. They've all backed the proposal yesterday. They say, as we're well aware across the week, that teachers should be prioritised for vaccines as they interact with dozens of children every day. This morning, we'll chat with the ASTI on that matter. And your comments are welcome. Your views are welcome on that again we said this earlier to Ken interesting across the week we did ask for teachers views on this and teachers the majority that contacted us they felt the unions were not representing them while they feel they should be prioritised for the vaccine they feel feel threatening strike action or even talking about industrial action is just wrong with everything else going on and as this will be and will have to go to the members it will be interesting to see how they will vote will those Contacting us, will they be in the minority or in the majority? Anyhow, we'll find out and discuss that later in the program. And were you in Australia in the 60s? Could your name be John or Paul? And did you help a man win in Australia into a crate? to be flown across the world to the UK. We are going to hear this amazing story of a man when he was younger, in his late teens, he left Wales to go and work in Australia on the railway. There was a scheme at the moment for people, you could just go to Australia and it would be all free if you were willing to dedicate yourself and you had to work for a number of years within their railway system. This man picked up on that offer, left Wales, went to Oz, but... After a number of weeks and months in Melbourne, he got homesick. And with the help of two Irish friends, they posted him in a crate, inside a crate, back to the UK, it's just an amazing story. We're going to chat with Brian Robson this morning on that story and how it all came about and also our Garda file later this morning, plus if there's a pet, a cat, a dog, whatever in your household and you have a question or something that you're concerned about, Jane or Vesh will be here as usual on a Thursday at around 12.30 after 12.30. Contact us now if you have a question for Jane, get them in nice and early on to Bernie 1850 333 103 or indeed text or WhatsApp 0862 103 one hundred and three. Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket will join us later in the program. So, that and more to come between now and one o'clock, along with your calls and comments and emails into the show over the last twenty-four hours. And something that a lot of people are asking about still, and what will happen with the easing of restrictions. We are aware of what is happening next Monday, and the big one is the travel and the five K. We can travel within our county, and indeed, from next Monday, uh, the stay home. Logo. And maybe that's what you see on your TV every night when you're watching that up in the uh, top right hand corner. That will change now for people to be asking themselves to stay local. And indeed, again, non-essential travel uh, is going to be eased. And in-county travel will be going ahead with journeys within 20k radius across county boundaries. Also, uh, there is more consideration coming forth regarding the easing of restrictions for the example, outdoor retail, uh, click and collect, uh, garden centres, nurseries, all of those could be reopening on a staggered basis from May the 4th. That is under consideration at the moment. Also, under consideration is the opening of hairdressers and again, under consideration, but it looks like it's May for the hairdressers and what could happen is the government could reopen uh, the hairdressers from the first week in May but initially limit access to those people who have been fully vaccinated who've got the two jabs so initially it would just be those who are vaccinated and then opening up to everybody else eventually but from the first week in May that could be happening and that looks like what is going to happen but as that is going ahead and they're looking at reopening the country the government is likely today to come under further pressure on the review of their usage of the AstraZeneca vaccine after the European Medicines medicine regulator, they have said regarding the unusual blood clots that we're hearing about over the last number of weeks, they're saying the unusual blood clots were a very rare side effect of the drug. And several EU countries and the UK, though, they have restricted its use. Now, yesterday, the European Medicines Agency, they've concluded that the unusual blood clots were related to the use of the AstraZeneca vaccine but the agency added that the health benefits of the protection it provided outweighed the risks. Uh, Minister for Health Stephen Donnelly he's discussing this uh, at the moment he's meeting his EU counterparts on this and he's expected uh, to review the position here in Ireland with the Deputy Chief Medical Officer Dr Ronan Glynn today. Uh, So more on that across the morning and indeed across the day on what will happen Uh, with the government's use of AstraZeneca and that then could change the rollout of the vaccine. We'll, we'll have to wait and see what happens. I mean, just in the last 30 minutes, uh, there is more information coming out on this. As the minister will meet Dr. Ronan Glynn uh, today, uh, the Health Products Regulatory Authority here has been identified of 18 reports of blood clots here in Ireland, possibly they say associated with the vaccine, but none of the very rare kind. Uh, so the what uh, the use of AstraZeneca is going to be debated today. A lot of questions will be asked about that and if there is a change then will that affect the rollout of our vaccine programme? We'll have to wait and see and we heard yesterday when we were uh, when I played out the audio when I visited at the uh, vaccination centre in Mallow on Tuesday and we did ask about the concerns people would have uh, and those who have concerns about receiving a vaccine and the nurses there In in fairness, I said, we will sit down with people, we will discuss situations with people, anybody who's anxious about it, we will chat to them first. It won't be a case that you you come in and you're rushed in. If you have a query, if you if you are conscious or are anxious about this, the nurses at the vaccination centre we spoke to in Mallow and they, they said this openly, they will speak to people and they have people there who will chat to people and allay their fears about that. I also heard a doctor earlier on this morning and yesterday evening on the TV news who said for those people who are worried about the clotting that if you travel, if you decide to travel uh, to Australia or a country that is a long, you're going to spend a long amount of time in the plane, uh, you're far more likely to develop a blood clot on those flights than you will from the AstraZeneca vaccine. And she said when people make those journeys, they are well aware that they could develop a clot from sitting in the plane, from being in the plane uh, at a certain height and the air pressure and all of that for a number of hours, a day nearly if you're going to Australia. And it's similar a similar decision, I suppose, w- would be in effect getting the AstraZeneca vaccines. Very rare that people get the blood clots from those uh, traveling destinations that you would make to Australia or wherever. Uh, and she was comparing it to that—that that it's you know it's at less risk uh, getting the vaccine. So we'll have to wait and see what comes out today and how Ireland goes forward with the use of AstraZeneca uh, in relation to the rare blood clots. It's a, a possible side effect now, of course, that has been recognised by Europe. And while we stay on the vaccine, this is just so. Said a doctor in County Limerick, his GP practice, they have come out and said they will not participate in the next phase of the vaccine rollout. Wait for this. Because of intimidating calls, he and his staff have been receiving from people complaining that they or their relatives did not receive the jab. It's a Dr. Kieran Murphy was speaking out on this. And he says the unrealistic levels of expectations about the vaccine programme is coming from the public. And while people are anxious and are worried, he said taking the abuse out on his staff has taken so much that they were stopping the vaccination programme at his practice. And this seemingly is not the first GP practice in the country to do this. Uh, Dr. Murphy continued on to say that his colleagues had been awake at night worrying about the programme of the vaccination how it would work and then which something else that worried them more uh, was the intimidating calls that they got and they just could not take any more of it and it's awful to think that people would ring up a, a GP surgery and it does happen and uh, we speak the GPs about that and did you receive abusive calls? The thing is, it's not the GP who's getting the abusive calls, it's the poor person who's on the other side of the phone and the admin department or the receptionist that is getting the call and being roared on the phone at, which is seemingly happening here and getting abusive of calls and intimidating calls. I'm not too sure what they were saying that caused the intimidation, but whatever they were saying, it was intimidating, it seems. And... Again, you know, it's now leading to people who were not complaining, who were not ringing that GP. Uh, They'll be the ones losing out because, probably because of a minority of people who are just nasty and horrible and feel that they can ring anybody up and just abuse them on the phone. And that's basically what's happened there. It's the majority uh, will lose out for a minority who think they can say what they want to a person. And then you'll have the situation, uh, as in many offices, the people on the other side of the phone, uh, they'll be using their customer service skills. They won't give out back. Sometimes I don't know. You're better off giving up back if someone's been abusive on the phone. I would have no hassle whatsoever if someone's abusive on the phone to someone ringing up a a company. If that staff member was was genuinely being abused for no reason, if there's a wrongdoing by the company, fine. But it, it's the person on the phone is is, is you know uh, being very nasty, like they are at the Arthur Dash receptionists in the doctor surgery, I have no problem shouting back at them. I mean, why did if people think they can just shout at people these days and just say what they want? be wondering if they would be brave enough to say it to the person's face if they were standing in the office, uh, very brave they are with their no names on Twitter and on a phone call but are they brave enough uh, face to face? You've got to wonder. It's, it's unfortunate that it's happening because again, those calls, probably more than likely, if we looked into this further, are from a minority. And it's the majority are losing out. Then the genuine people who are waiting, who are being nice, who would never have run the doctor, they're the ones that are losing out. So it's unfortunate that it's happening. And unfortunate that we have people like that in society. But we have and they were always there and they always will be there. And we just have to work around them. Um, but yeah, that, that's the reality of what's happening on the ground now with GPs. So, you know, the question is, will that hamper then? Uh, and the delay in rolling out the vaccine in certain areas as well, depending on how things uh, go in the future. It's, you know, we'll have to wait and see because what is going to happen? is that, and we mentioned this when we were, were discussing the vaccination centre in Malloy yesterday, uh, the, the people aged between 65 and 69 they will be able to register for their vaccine from April 19th and they'll be beginning uh, to receive their jabs. Uh, that was mentioned yesterday by the HSC officially and the HSC boss Paul Reed, says once those between 65 and 69 register, they will receive a text confirming what centre they will go for their vaccine to. And the live portal on the nesh that will go live in two weeks, so you can log on then and register for the vaccine. And if you can't use the internet, and if you don't use the internet, you can ring HSC live on 1850-24-1850. That's the number if you, because I know when we mentioned the vaccination centres in the county yesterday, we got a flood of calls and texts from people who were giving out saying that they don't go on the net, they don't want to use the internet for this. But you can ring, you can ring the HSC 1850-24-1850. But that is within the next two weeks or more when that portal does open up online. It's the same portal will be opening up on the phones as well. And we got that information in Mallow on Tuesday afternoon when we were visiting that vaccination centre and staying with vaccines. Well, uh, more controversy on people jumping the queue because all board members of the Martyr Hospital in Dublin were offered a COVID 19 vaccine, which had been delivered uh, for frontline healthcare staff. A spokeswoman for the hospital confirmed that some board members, not all, but some, board members accepted the offer. So that's still going on in our hospitals and in the private hospitals, in particularly in this country and more so in the east coast of the country. And some good news, pedestrianisation of the city streets, more of them are going to be pedestrianised over the next few months. It's a move that many businesses are looking forward to in the city as things will open up for the summer. People will be hopefully all dining outdoors. It gives that real city feel when people are outdoors. Hopefully now we get the weather for this, but some of the first streets to be extended for pedestrian hours will be Oliver Plunkett Street, the likes of Cook Street, South Caroline Street, Pembroke Street and Princess Street South. And the marina, of course, will become 24 hours. The works on these streets will begin from April 12th. So that's a welcome development and some positive news for the city in relation to businesses that will be open, running and opening again. And people will be able to sit outdoors on the city streets and enjoy whatever they're eating or drinking. And we got a lot of calls during the week, uh, earlier on in the week, especially on dog falling and people going to the local park and people avoiding dog poo on the park or on the footpath or wherever they were going. And what about this idea? I know we have a number on, both the city council and the county council are running various campaigns at the moment to deter people uh, from, you know, letting the dog out and doing his business or her business or whatever. Uh, But in Dublin... Audio devices are going to be installed in a number of locations in the city to encourage dog owners to clean up after their dogs. Basically, what's going to happen is there's going to be a loudspeaker. And I think that this will just be in a loop and it will say every maybe five minutes or every two minutes to pick up your dog's dirt or something like that is to encourage people to basically behave responsibly when it comes to dog fouling. Now, they won't be putting these audio devices in residential areas. They're going to be in areas where there's no housing nearby and they're not going to be excessively loudy there. But... I would imagine something like when you go to CUH and this the, the speaker outside the door that says don't smoke here. I would imagine it's going to be something like that. It's going to be in place. Would you welcome that here in parks where there's no houses nearby and uh, all of us have to go to the shop every week or every day maybe? Well, I'm sure you've noticed the shops are a lot busier in the last year. And shoppers have spent almost, wait for this over 235 million euros on groceries and that's just in the first quarter of this year compared to the same time last year and the shops are busier I'm sure you'll notice the the, the queues in in the shops over the last number of weeks and months Super Value by the way tops the list for shoppers the largest on the share they have when it comes to shopping Uh, that's followed by Tesco and then Dunn's but Super Value uh, coming on top when it comes to those who choose where to shop Anyhow have you noticed that supermarkets extremely busy uh, and have been over the first quarter of this year? Our lines are open. Your views are welcome. 1850-333-103. Text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103.
0: Court today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 103 103.
3: On the supermarkets, Heidi says on WhatsApp, JP, the supermarkets are making more money because we can't go out and eat. So everyone now is buying more food. I produce cooking at home. A lot more now, says Heidi on WhatsApp to 862 103 103 While also on WhatsApp, when I mentioned there about people going out and eating on pedestrianized streets and and this is something that's happening in the city where more streets will open up now and become pedestrianized. And that will be a boost for local businesses who do w- and will reopen uh, for the summer months. On this, a person asking on WhatsApp, will people still have to wear a mask outside? Yeah, uh, at the moment, the way things are going, you will, like last year, uh, the waiters coming out and the people who work in those places, they will be wearing a mask out and about outside. Obviously enough, the people who are eating and drinking won't be because you will be, if you go along to your seat and while you're going to the toilet and all of that but while you're sitting down eating and drinking you won't be wearing a mask because you can't eat and wear a mask but uh, the staff will be as they were last year that will things could slowly change though as the summer goes on depending on how Ireland's uh, and how we are reacting to Covid how Covid behaves and how the vaccine goes it's all open to change anyhow that's the way it stands at the moment thank you for your whatsapp 0862103103 103. tweet at C103 Cork and as I mentioned there about uh, streets opening up and becoming pedestrianised many in the tourism industry are calling for a level playing field when it comes to self-catering accommodation and Airbnb currently self-catering can only accommodate essential workers while Airbnb just seems to be open to all. Well, Cork South West Jeopardy, Christopher O'Sullivan, is raising this issue. He joins me. Good morning to you, Christopher. Hey, John Paul. It would seem that those who register with self-catering are caught with the regulations, but those who will register with Airbnb can do what they want. And there does not seem to, appears to be anyway, any regulation over the Airbnb sector.
4: Yeah, very little regulation, uh, I would say, John Paul, and that's the uh, crux of the issue here. And um, you know, as you rightly said, there uh, hospitality um, uh, from where I'm from in West Cork, um, in, in So West, it's such a huge uh, employer. It's such a huge part of uh, what we do down here. It's such a huge part of, of our employment scene and what makes the place tick. Um, and you know, we all know that during this pandemic and because of restrictions. Um, it really is an industry that has been hit incredibly, incredibly hard, and you know, in fairness, for for the most part, they've taken it on the chin, and you know, they've asked for greater support, they've asked for greater clarity, uh, but they've taken it on the chin. And um, the hotels, the uh, BNBs, the regular BNBs, the um, uh, glamping, the self catering, they've all played by the rules. And when I say played by the rules, is that they have uh, restricted. Uh, those who they sell their rooms to, to uh, essential workers only. Um, and unfortunately, the evidence out there uh, and it, what it appears is is that Airbnb and those who use the Airbnb platform um, aren't playing by the same rules. Uh, and that's, you know, uh, it, it's something that's evident by a lot of examples that have been given by me, particularly by reputable businesses who uh, run self-catering and have uh, refused to um, are either cancelled uh, selling rooms to those who are not essential workers. And that doesn't appear to be the case for Airbnb because uh, the response um, that fault Ireland have received back from Airbnb is that they're just a booking platform and that it's up to the individual um, premises owners. But that, that's, I think that's a bit of a cop-up because if you look at a similar booking platform, which would be like booking.com, you know, the guidelines, the messages, is quite clear and unambiguous. Um, you cannot book with any of their hotels um, unless you are uh, an essential worker. That's not the situation with Airbnb. So certainly it needs it needs greater regulation. Uh, it needs to be specified, I think, in the current guidelines. It's not self-catering is, hotels are, but Airbnb isn't. And I think that would, would go a long way to address the concerns of, um, you know, just to start with, the, the reputable
3: businesses. And we are aware of so many who have booked Airbnbs for house parties over the last year which was very frustrating to those who live near those Airbnbs and also then you have those as you mentioned who run for example self-catering cottages that might be just based next to an Airbnb they remain shut the Airbnb is open to all Uh, so if they don't fall under the same category in the likes of Booking.com as you mentioned do uh, what's the quickest solution to solve this? I mean how do you get Airbnb to fall under the category like the, the Travagos or Booking.com do with hotels?
4: Well, they attempted to introduce new regulations in 2019 in relation to Airbnb. Uh, and the solution or the, the issue at that time, and, and this is still an issue, by the way, and it's still an issue um, in, in a lot of parts of Ireland, is the fact that uh, a lot of um, property owners would were going to Airbnb because it was a much more lucrative way of earning money or, or making money from your, your property and from your investment. What it led to was, Situation where people who were looking for permanent accommodation, and you know, you've had them on your show, John Paul, the, the, you know, crying out for rental, affordable rental accommodation long term because they want to live in an area, um, and they weren't there because many of these these premises, these apartments, these cottages were uh, in Airbnb, and and you know, obviously it was a lot more lucrative. So there were regulations introduced in 2019, but the problem is that those regulations applied only to rent pre- pressure zones, and unfortunately, Kirkstall West um we don't have any of those rent pressure zones. There was talks of band and been included. Um but it, it, it means that those regulations do not apply. So therefore Airbnb has pretty much gone uncontrolled, unchecked um and unpleased. And, and and it means that um I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, there's a self catering business down here in West Cork. Um they had a, a booking taken in November um for they'd actually fifteen um, bookings taken we um, mentioned 15 different premises that they had, uh, cottages, self-catering cottages, um, and these were due to be, uh, happen in April. Being responsible and abiding by the guidelines, this business person cancelled the bookings, uh, and the response that they got from the people who had made the bookings was, it's okay, we've located a place on Airbnb, we're fine. So the it, it, it's completely unfair. You have on one hand a business um, abiding by the rules and abiding by the regulations, and on the other hand, you have uh, anyone like you know. A, another example used by another company was about, that you know I could go away, I could try to sell my self catering accommodation if I just went onto the Airbnb platform, but they won't do that because they're responsible. So there has to be a level playing field. And I would say again, and um, what I've called on um, from uh, even both the Tishk and Minister and, and this is that we would. Um, specify Airbnb in the existing guidelines and then post that and and it's too early to talk about this yet John Paul but what they've done in the UK is um, they've allowed um, self-catering businesses to sell their self-catering units to um, people from the same family after April 12th now obviously we know that the UK are far far ahead of us in terms of vaccine rollout. but when we get to a point that it's safe to do so uh, I think that's potentially a move that we could uh, be able to make in order to introduce that level playing field because it's it's just, it's deeply unfair at the moment. And, you know, uh, Airbnb, there's no rate paying, whereas um, uh, hotels and accommodation providers, reputable businesses, they, they there is rate paying there. It's questionable about whether our Airbnb premises are paying VAT. So it, it's just, right from the get-go, there's an unfair playing field. And then you add in these regulations and how they're being um, circumvented, it creates even further um, unfairness.
3: And how soon could all this be implemented to get that level playing field?
4: I'd imagine an updating of the guidelines could be done very, very quickly. We've seen the we've seen the guidelines updated from time to time. In fact, only last week, uh, because there was a bit of a grey area around self catering cottages, whereas hotels were mentioned, uh, B and Bs were specifically mentioned. There wasn't any mention for self catering, so the the HSC website and the guidelines were very quickly updated. I think the the same thing should should happen here with Airbnb and that they're updated, and it would stop a few things because you know what we're hearing on the ground is from from you know, those picturesque parts of West Cork that attract lots of visitors is that um, there are a lot of visitors from um, uh, around the country in these areas and they're availing of of Airbnb. And look, of course, I can't um, come online and absolutely 100% prove that these people staying in these, this accommodation are essential workers, but the anecdotal evidence and what I'm hearing on the ground is that is the case. Uh, and you mentioned host parties and that was something that we had an issue with uh, back uh, prior to Christmas, um, you know, where that was a major issue even in parts of my own constituency here in, in Porto West. Um, you know, there needs to be a camping down on, on that type of thing until it's safe to do
3: so. And staying with tourism, before we let you go, just two issues that have come up again this morning on the show. One of those is the hotel quarantine issue. And I know the Foreign Affairs Minister, Simon Coveney, he says an agreement on adding EU countries to the hotel quarantine list that is likely to be reached by the weekend. And the two countries that people were annoyed at that seemingly at the start were not going to be added were Germany and France. It looks like now the cabinet is going to sign off on these new additions on Tuesday. If Germany and France are added which it looks like they will be. Do you welcome that? Because people were annoyed the fact that the COVID cases are so high in France and Germany, major tourism sites being closed there, and yet uh, the people from that area were allowed to fly into Ireland while we weren't allowed to go beyond our 5K. Uh, so does it look like now that Germany and France will be at it?
4: Yeah, and I was, I was heartened, to be honest, to hear um, uh, Minister Colvin's comments this morning on Morning Ireland. I know there was a small bit of a, an impasse. Uh, I won't say there was tension there, but there was certainly, look, healthy discussion at Cabinet, let's put it that way. Uh, You know, you can't expect, um, um, you know, ministers who sometimes represent three different uh, political parties to absolutely all heartily agree on everything. But I'm very thankful and happy to see that uh, there will be room for an expansion uh, of some EU countries onto that mandatory quarantine list, because not just because of the case numbers uh, and, and the the fourth, fifth wave that we're seeing in countries like uh, Germany and France, but particularly because of the emergence of uh, this new variant that we're hearing about, the Breton variant, I think they're calling it, um, which, uh, you know, there, there's potentially fears that it may go um, undetected by PCR tests. So it's just, I mean, this is the whole point of the introduction of mandatory quarantine. You know, we we do already, um, some people like it, some people don't like it, but we do already have the strictest uh, lockdown uh, regime, uh, in the EU countries, um, we're the uh, only country to introduce mandatory quarantine within the, the existing EU countries. So, I'm, you know, we either we either do it half-heartedly or we do it properly. So, I'm delighted to see that, um, you know, cabinet have reached agreement, and I expect an announcement on that shortly in relation to the addition of, particularly France. I think France is the one that is huge concern because of that Breton uh, variant, uh, and that hopefully will give give people a bit of peace of mind that these variants that may cause us issues in the future that we can keep them at bay and just deal with the um, numbers that we have at the moment and the most important thing of all john paul of course is the rollout of that um of the vaccine and i was delighted to see the feature that you did on on mallow uh, the vaccination center there um i've have been lucky enough to visit the vaccination center in Kildare as well and seen the boots there that are ready to go they should be ready to go within a couple of weeks and they expect that they'll be able to vaccinate 900 people a day so we're going to see a huge ramping up of the speed of the vaccination rollout over the next few weeks which I think will come as a huge size relief to everybody
3: And very finally we're speaking to the teacher union the ASTI next do you agree with their motion uh, that they are now looking at industrial action depending on what their members say and that could lead to strike action do you agree with teachers for taking this in the middle of a pandemic?
4: I stood up in the in the Dáil last week, John Paul, uh, and I questioned the Minister uh, for health on because obviously we've received contact from hundreds of teachers within the constituency, obviously very concerned and rightly frustrated because they believe they're in one position at one point and the, the goalposts have essentially changed. So I, I did put the point to the Minister that look, teachers are working in some of the most crowded uh, classrooms in Europe uh, amongst some of the highest class numbers. And I particularly stressed uh, the points in relation to SNAs because SNAs in the, uh, you know, the nature of the work that they do, close contact is unavoidable. So they are in specific circumstances. But I will say this, and, and the answer that I got from uh, Minister Donnelly was quite compelling and, and Minister Foley has reiterated it. The idea of the age-based vaccine rollout is coming from NIAC. It's coming from the experts and the stats are very um, simple. If you are between the age of 55 and 64, you're 70 times more likely uh, to die from COVID-19 and you're 20 times more likely to be hospitalised. So it's very ha- hard for me, uh, the government backbencher, to dispute the evidence of NIAC. But I do sympathise with the teachers. That's why I stood up in the dial. I also stood up in the dial in fa- favour of, um, and, and sh- shouting for Gardaí, who, you know, in certain circumstances are being called out to the house parties that you talked about recently and they're being called into quite crowded environments. So... I think a further discussion has to have on it, but I am I am not the person to dispute the evidence or to dispute the science. Uh, and while look, the teachers are absolutely entitled to to make the decision in terms of potential industrial strike action. And um, I, I, I can't dispute the science or dispute the, the figures that I've just.
3: Uh, um, set you there in relation to the age based vaccination rollout. Okay, well we'll hear from the ASTI and their views next for the moment we'll wait and see what will happen with the situation regarding Airbnbs. So thanks for joining us this morning that is the Cork South West Deputy Christopher O'Sullivan and we will chat with the ASTI next. C103. Call Patricia with your
0: comment. 1850 103. The
3: 3 teacher unions have voted for an emergency motion backing industrial action up to and including strike action if they are not prioritized for vaccination. The move follows last week's government decision to roll out COVID-19 vaccinations based on age rather than profession. And Nan of the ASTI joins me on this. Good morning to you, Anne. Hello, John Paul. And thanks for joining us. I know we spoke last week and we preempted that this will be a big issue for you guys at your conferences this week. And while the unions now have voted for this, do you think it's wrong to put forward industrial or strike action or to use that terminology in the middle of a pandemic?
5: Well, you know, John Paul, this is a very dramatic headline from the actual motion. It's a long and detailed motion, and that is there at the very end of the motion and would be an absolute last straw for us. It's not what we want, and nothing will happen immediately in relation to anything uh, involving strike action. Our desire is to have negotiations with the government and to have this solved in an amicable way. Uh, So I want to assure your listeners and parents and students that schools will be reopening on Monday as has been planned and that there will be no disruption of any kind from teachers' side to that. That will be the first point I'd like to make. The other point is this is a very serious issue for teachers. Teachers are essential workers. They're on the front line. Uh, We're not asking to put ourselves in any way before the most vulnerable groups in society or before health workers. We're quite happy to wait in line after those people, but it must be recognised that we're going into large groups of students every day, sometimes meeting up to 250 young people in school, coming from diverse different uh, backgrounds and households, and it's a very dangerous health situation, so we really want the issue of early vaccination for teachers addressed. Now, in relation to science as well, you know, the government they do quote signs, but it has also emerged that the government are doing this from an administrative point of view and um, the issues they have with them running the administration of the issue. And that's simply not good enough uh, I suppose just to inform you, the United Nations and the World Health Organisation, they also operate a science-based model. And they have called three times in recent recent months, up to very recently, that teachers should be prioritised as a group to be vaccinated because of their key role in keeping schools open. And that is our objective. We share that with the government. The government states that they wish to keep schools open. They also talk about... um, teachers as valued essential workers but you know a lot of teachers would see that as lip service in view of the sudden unannounced unexpected change that was made last week without any consultation or even the courtesy of informing um, our teacher leaders before this happened so we are very disappointed it did affect the morale of teachers teachers wonder really you know what the situation is In relation to their uh, to their vaccination i suppose i would say to you you can't compare people of a similar age when one group of people are working from home and have the ability to work from home they can carry out their work remotely versus teachers of the same age who had to go into the front line, as I've already explained to you, common sense would tell you that those two people are not in the same situation in relation to risk of contracting COVID.
3: And while many people do agree with what is happening regarding vaccination of teachers, I, I, the science and what the, the government is saying may be different. Some people can't understand why teachers are taking this action. But during the week, teachers are off. We were asking teachers for their opinion. They did interact with us earlier on this week and yesterday, on this, and some said that you were out of step, as in the unions were out of step with teachers. That they, while they agree that they should be vaccinated, the idea of industrial action they felt was wrong. But this will go to a ballot, won't be wanted for members. So, if teachers feel that way, it won't go that far.
5: Oh, as I said to you, uh, this is at the very end of the line, as far as we're concerned. We don't want this to happen. And we have, in fact, put a deadline of, you know, the summertime on it so that nobody will have to return to school in September, late August, whatever, without being vaccinated. So... We really, we're giving the government time to resolve this. We're not asking to be vaccinated tomorrow. We understand the difficulties that are there. But, you know, it's another promise broken by the government. The government has informed us as recently as February. They gave us a commitment in writing that teachers would be prioritised for vaccination as part of the first third of the adult population. Uh, we thought that was reasonable in view of the position. That, and again, it, this isn't just about teachers. Obviously, the ASTI is representing teachers, but we're equally concerned about the whole school community. You know, that would involve caretakers and um, uh, SNAs, but, mm. you know, FORSA would be representing their views, and their views are quite in tune with what we're saying as well. So we're. this is not a selfish issue by any means. We want this... As a key objective for keeping schools open, in, you know, in the longer term. And on
3: that then, if we did just go on the age basis and not on profession, many are saying the fact that the population of teachers if we were just to vaccinate teachers from let's say today the government say we're vaccinating teachers, they would not get through the teaching population by the end of your term. If they just go on age then uh, you know, it, w- it would be similar there would be the summer more than less when people will be getting the vaccinations for the younger members of the teaching society. Uh, But a lot of people are making the point that if they did go down the road of teaching, you wouldn't be vaccinated before the summer. I mean, the summer holidays kick in in seven or eight weeks time. So is it not better to go the age route whereby you will all hopefully, all of us, the majority of us will be vaccinated by July, August if things go to plan. So why not leave it at the age route? Because you're not going to get every teacher vaccinated before you finish up for the summer if you're just going on teachers alone.
5: Well, we understood that and we accept that and that was never going to happen. But what we're saying is that we want all teachers vaccinated before the return in September. Now, there would be a major doubt about that in view of... You know, different issues arise and unexpected issues arise and delays are there. So we have given the government some time to sort that out. But I suppose it's the uncertainty that surrounds it. And any decisions we took were very democratic. You know, the decision was taken by democratically selected delegates, several hundred who attended the convention over the last two days. So this is certainly not driven uh, by the higher end of the union. This is driven by the concerns of people on the ground.
3: And very finally a question that has come in by a number of listeners this morning and I know as you say nothing's going to happen over the next number of weeks. Schools will open on the 12th and you're welcoming in the first to fourth year classes and that will continue just in case people are worried. Nothing will happen for the moment. But a question here that says can you ask Anne why are teachers so important? Why are they more important than bus drivers or shop workers? Why is their profession more important?
5: And again, I think I alluded to that just earlier in our conversation. We are concerned with everybody who's in the front line and we support their efforts as well to make sure that those people receive the vaccination at an early date. I suppose our concern is that people, the key workers who have to be out in in, on the cold face, meeting large groups of people, we would identify totally with those other groups and we feel that they should be a priority as opposed to people who are working remotely and people who are not facing the same high level of danger on a daily basis.
3: And if the government don't look like they're going to roll back on this, Norma Foley, the education minister, has come out and she's going to stick with the science and that has come from a a number of organisations within the government... If they go on with the age as they are looking like they're going to do and then teach, teachers are vaccinated during the summer and you all go back to school in September vaccinated, is that the end of the story then? Does all this drop or are you going to still continue the debate that you were not included despite everybody being vaccinated? Does it end oh, well, there?
5: Obviously, it's, uh, it's totally focused on vaccination for our members and for teachers. That, that is the story. There is no other issue. It won't involved, continue it?
3: again in September if you were vaccinated but oh, you're, you're not happy. No
5: reason. Sorry, John Paul, it would have no reason to continue. That is the issue. And again, you know, it's unfortunate that the very last uh, issue, which is part of the motion, which is strike, it becomes a kind of a flag-waving issue. That's the very last thing that we want. You know, I said that at the beginning. I want to say it at the end. We want the government to be reasonable here and to ensure that all teachers are vaccinated before they're expected to go back in September. You know, there's a huge issue with Community transmission, which hasn't been identified, you know, we would have huge suspicions that a lot of that is connected to schools. Uh, we would have issues with asymptomatic transmission. Uh, one of our delegates yesterday. Uh, spoke, I suppose, very honestly and heartbreakingly. He's quite a young teacher of his own experience of COVID and having to um, spend time in the emergency section of the hospital and the cruel effects it has on people's health. This is a very serious issue. This is not something frivolous. This is a life and death issue, not just for the people, I suppose, who might contract it even in schools, and that is a very serious issue, but for them as well going into their homes they may take home the virus to people who may be vulnerable in their own homes. That would be not just teachers, but everybody in the school community. Okay,
3: and we have to leave it there. Uh, thanks for joining us this morning. Will are welcome. WhatsApp on 0862103103. Text the same number. Call Bernie 1850333103. On the way, an amazing story from Australia in the 60s, but a lot of your calls and comments on teachers and Airbnb, which we discussed in the first hour of the show, and to teachers first and what could be strike action and industrial action by teacher unions. And again today... Uh, teachers contacting us saying while they do welcome a discussion on vaccination for teachers they don't agree with what unions have said and again the teachers will be the ones voting in these uh, in, in in these ballots because it's the members it goes to who are teachers they'll vote so it's up to, to, to the teachers to decide if they will be voting for industrial action which is uh, up and to including strike action we'll have to wait and see how that works out how the ballots go uh, but if it's to go on what we're getting from teachers who were contacting us, it would seem that they're not in favour of going down the route of industrial action they don't even like the fact that it's been spoken about with everything going on in the country at the moment and how so many other workers as Magella, who's a teacher says are suffering with pay cuts and are suffering with losing their jobs and others who are working from home uh, who are juggling family life and work life and then we have our unions out saying this it just makes the teaching profession look bad to society says uh, Magella on text to 0862103103. 103 Bush on other text in Uh, on the subject of teachers this person says yes they need to be vaccinated but so do lots of others what about people who are in charge of creches and play schools people working in shops who are more at risk every day they're not complaining also the Gardaí I feel should be the first ones done they're really at risk dealing with the public every day Uh, tell teachers to chill out stop moaning and think of people who have not been outside their home in months says that person on WhatsApp Uh, also on WhatsApp a person doesn't want their name read out but says just because the teachers Have massive unions They're throwing a tantrum What example are they giving children What about early years providers Working throughout the pandemic And also a person here saying Blackmailing the government To get what they want Who is running the country Teachers or the so-called government Teachers were not frontline working all the year they should have to wake like other people to receive the vaccine sick people have not got the vaccine as yet and on whatsapp a person here saying that as people in the 55 to 64 age bracket in the more peril from Covid could the teachers and the SNAs and the Guardian in this age bracket get their vaccines on a priority basis and then move to younger staff members at a later date perhaps a compromise could be reached in this way uh, maybe Maybe not, but dare to say there can't be too many teachers, SNAs and Gardas in this cohort, says that person on WhatsApp. What on text the teacher uh, or a person here saying that teachers are getting above themselves again with this discussion. While Heidi says, J.P., uh, this that teacher that was on with us that was the um, ASTI rep Anlock Nan uh, they're saying about going to the front of the queue for vaccine for most teachers and most teachers did work from home for many months and you were teachers on your show last week and I think you had people as well older people saying that they were fed up of hearing about teachers and the likes of the older folks have not received their vaccines as yet and indeed either have shop workers there is a saying the first shall be last and the last will be first. We all have to be patient, says Heidi on WhatsApp on 086 103, 103. While Catherine says, Hi JP, it's not all about teachers and schools. There are SNAs in schools who work a lot closer with students, and there's no mention of them, which really annoys me, says Catherine. Yeah, and I know, in fairness, Anlock Nan of the ASTI did touch on that there. And the Forster do agree with the main unions in when it comes to teaching the INTO, ASTI, and the TUI, the Forster who represents. SNAs are in agreement with what is being said from those teaching unions. But I know a lot of SNAs are annoyed that they're not included in the conversation, that it's always teachers and not SNAs. And another person here is saying, vaccinating the teachers now, if they want that, well then give them no holidays. They think they can rule everything if they want to be vaccinated early then extend the school year. Uh, Teachers then would have opposing views on that when we mentioned that before in the programme their contract doesn't include working during the summer they said so uh, you could not physically do that or the government would not have the power uh, to extend the school year into the holidays and and again many will have said that they will have worked anyhow in January and February they worked from home so uh, teachers would say you're then incorrect with that statement. Also a person here, this text came in when Anne was, uh, finished the conversation with us, but they're asking uh, how many teachers took the flu jab. And if they did, he's, this person says 20%, if they take it, you will find they will have no sick time. Uh, so I presume what you're saying is if they took the flu jab, how many did take the flu jab working in education? And did so many not take it because then they would have no sick time? And will that apply to this? Well I suppose COVID's a lot different than the average and the ordinary flu. Um, anyhow, if there's a teacher out there who knows how many took the flu jab and get it from the horse's mouth but uh, I would imagine many teachers did take the flu jab if it was offered to them. Uh, while Dennis is in Charnival, uh, his daughter is a teacher. He says all the politicians are protecting themselves, going in drips and drabs to the event centre in Dublin because they are afraid of what they might pick up. They have loads of space but the ex experts and the likes of the government, they expect his daughter... To go back into a schoolroom without being vaccinated, surrounded by children. Dennis lost a person to COVID last year, so he knows what COVID can do. The teachers are doing a fantastic job and asking them to put their lives at risk is unreasonable, says Dennis in Charnival to Bernie on 1850 And your conversation in relation to Airbnbs, a lot of people feel this is unfair, the way that the self-catering industry and hotels are all closed while Airbnbs are open. And people are traveling from all over, uh, booking Airbnbs and spending the weekends in tourist destinations, uh, traveling beyond that 5k. Uh, And enjoying themselves. Why then bookings with self catering? The business owner is ringing up the person who had a booking and telling them, I'm sorry, we have to close because of the regulations and they're cancelling them. Well, on that, Mary says, "Uh, listening to your conversation about Airbnbs, it is very unfair because yes, as a resident of Castle Townsend and the area where I am in, uh, there are in operation and the people staying are not essential workers. It's grossly unfair. As you see, air, as you see the BNBs closed up. And, as Christopher said, a business who operates during the holiday period and who operates holiday homes abiding by the rules, closed, jobs on hold, uh, the situation is very concerning when you see that here in my local area says Mary on text to 103, 103. while another Mary has a B&B uh, she's in the West Cork area it's closed at the moment and all around her Airbnbs are taking bookings Mary has to pay water rates and has loads of regulations to abide by but the Airbnbs have none of that says Mary and another Mary this time in league uh, says there are a load of Dublin cars around at the moment, but the Gardaí only seem to be stopping and checking the locals is what Mary feels. Uh, and again, a D reg doesn't mean that someone's from Dublin. You could have a D reg and you could have purchased the car here in Cork. Uh, and I'm not too sure, Mary, when you say they're the Gardaí are checking only the locals. How do you mean they're checking only the locals? Uh, are they waving on the D reg cars? At the checkpoints, is that what you mean? Uh, I'd be mean, obviously we're we're still walking physically coming to the studio, so every day I'm meeting the COVID checkpoints coming and going from work, and there's a mixture of regis uh, in front of me going to work uh, I, I'm in the Mallow studio so you would have a, you know, a mixture of uh, Munster based regis travelling all over uh, the majority of them will be companies but and the majority of them are private cars and I, I would presume it's people who are working in those cars anyhow they are being stopped uh, and you have all kind of regis from Clare to Limerick to Dublin to Kildare so uh, not too sure what you mean by that Mary is that they're not stopping them and, and if they aren't why not I mean I, I think the would would give us different answers on that if we uh, said why are they not stopping them I'd I, I have to see evidence or, or some proof on, on what is happening or what you mean exactly by that because uh, just going on the evidence we've seen they seem to be stopping everybody now they're waving people through obviously enough if they're giving an excuse or a correct excuse or, or whatever they're doing but I haven't seen them just stopping some cars I have seen in checkpoints though maybe this is what you've seen is when there's a queue and traffic gets too busy they just start waving on cars then but usually they start waving on everybody and they don't They won't just just stop a cork reg car Uh, They'll wave on all cars Uh, Anyhow thank you for your call Mary And uh, on the dog falling And this is the idea of having a loudspeaker in an area and we had so many calls from people who said they were sick of walking through the local park and having dogs fouling and trying to avoid dog dirt and their young child walking into dog dirt or buggies going through dog dirt and we said what about in Dublin where they're thinking of putting up loudspeakers similar to what's outside CUH to prevent people from smoking having that in parks whereby the park is not in a residential area and then the voiceover would keep every two minutes saying you know don't let your dog foul and if You do pick up the the dirt from your dog and all of that. Well, Mary says the idea of a voiceover for dog falling will be like all the other voiceovers. For example, in the hospitals, in the shops and in areas where people should not be going into. People just get very familiar with the voiceover. They ignore it and they just walked past I have seen this in the past and I can't see that working long term says Mary on the issue of dog fouling on text to 103, 103 and on the quarantine we mentioned earlier and how now more countries including Germany are going to be added to this list when it comes to uh, hotel quarantine because of the high cases uh, in, in Europe uh, Italy France and Germany seeing a rise in cases some are saying a fourth wave in those countries and obviously we don't want that to hit here as we begin to reopen everything in some of those countries they're going back and they're locking everything down again but on this a person says I am not happy my son lives and works in Germany he is Irish he would love to come home but he is expected to pay for a hotel when he would be coming home to me it's a disgrace He, it's his country and this country is a free country at the moment it's like a prison treating him like dirt uh, feels that person on WhatsApp but then On the other side of that, you have Monica who says, I totally agree and I'm delighted to hear this morning that they are now looking at more or less, including France, Germany and Italy in the hotel quarantine list. I'm looking forward to having some normality on Monday where we can go beyond our 5k. And as you mentioned, the pedestrianisation of city streets soon, I feel this is just such a welcome boost and a welcome news story. I feel if we do let people into this country from such maybe Germany or France as Monica, All it takes is one person to bring in the virus. We are now looking at what is happening in Germany and in France and they're going back into lockdown as we come out of lockdown we do not want to be going back in I agree with the hotel quarantine I agree with what Australia and New Zealand did says, says Monica and I feel those coming in Irish or not they will have to quarantine so that us who are living here 24-7 says Monica can have a life Monica's view on text 0862103103 call Bernie 1850 you can tweet at C103 Cork C103 Jobs And on today's job spot, we have opportunities for a sales assistant required for Topline Murphy and O'Connor in Bantry. Some experience in DIY building and paint would be desirable. You can email mohardware. At Outlook.com. The Bon Secures Hospital, they are now recruiting for a staff nurse in oncology and pediatrics. You can call Anne Ryan or Ani Ryan even on 021 480 1657 or email ap at Bon Secures.ie for further details. And Mallow Printing Works. They have vacancies for a sign maker and fisher. Also, for a graphic designer, you can apply with a cover letter now and your CV to jobs at maloprint.com. These jobs and more, they're online, and you get them at c103.ie.
0: Cork today on C103
3: with Sean Cusack and
0: Life is full of what-ifs,
2: some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry?
1: Experiences can sail. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. See mig.ie 50 million euros set to move east to west under full flattening of payments. For more in your Farmer's Journal, here's Paul Mooney. We detail the proposed direct payment changes for your county, Kerry Co-op on the brink of a historic deal, calls for clarity on 10 million euros straw scheme, beef prices rise as factories chase finished cattle, and we've a special on contractor charges. Plus, Our focus on beef breeding is packed with tips for a successful breeding season inside this week's Irish Farmer's Journal, on sale now.
6: When you're walking with your doggy and it does a doggy-do, just remember what your doggy does belongs to you. You mustn't walk away from your doggy's doggy-do because the doggy-do your doggy does belongs to you. When walking your dog, pause for thought. Bring a bag to clean up after your dog. Brought to you by Cork City Council. Call her Carol Sky
0: SkyQ really does have everything I love. I get all the Sky TV channels and great original shows like I Hate Susie and exclusives like Your Honour. Together with all of Netflix and it's only €30 Euro a month. I've also got my favourite apps and catch-up TV in one place. SkyQ just makes life easy. So you actually get quite a lot for less than you might think. Just €30 Euro a month. Search Sky30 today. New Sky TV customers only set up fees minimum term and further terms apply. At Avonmore, we know that fresh milk tastes great. But if you're lactose intolerant, drinking
2: regular milk can leave you feeling, well, not so great. That's why Avonmore Lactose Free Milk is the perfect choice for you. It looks like regular milk, tastes like regular milk, and it's packed with all the nutritional goodness of regular milk. But there's one little difference that means a lot it's lactose free. So now you can enjoy the same fresh milk taste and feel
0: great afterwards. Avonmore more lactose-free milk. Feels good, tastes great. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 86 103, 103
3: Now this is a unique and amazing story because a Welshman who made global headlines when he mailed himself from Australia is hoping to find two Irish friends who helped him escape Oz. Brian Robson almost died in his attempt to avoid an aircraft affair by hiding in in a wooden crate in Melbourne in 1965. Brian Robson, though, lives to tell the tale and he joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Brian. And good morning to you. And thanks for joining us. This just is such an amazing story. Just take us back to the 60s and just tell us why, as a boy in your late teens, did you decide from Wales to travel to Australia?
7: It was an accident actually, uh, an accident waiting to happen. I uh, i was bored one day and I was reading a newspaper and there was an advert uh, for positions that were vacant on the Victorian Railway in Australia that would be sponsored uh, and I just turned up at the interview. I didn't actually fill any forms in or anything, I just turned up at the interview. I had four interviews and before I realised it, I'd, already, I'd been accepted and I wasn't even sure if I wanted to go quite honestly. <laughs>
3: And what drew you to apply? I mean, had you a fascination with railways or, or, or what was your fascination to, to go and, and, and look into this? You no,
7: know, uh, my fascination was probably with adventure, that I was quite adventurous with the team and the youth, uh, youth. And I think it was the adventure. Uh, and, you know, I'd, even after being accepted, I, I, I wasn't 100% sure I was going. Um, uh, in fact, I, I had more negative uh uh, thoughts or vibes than positive ones about going there. But in the end, I went.
3: <laughs> and when you were travelling there, it was the rail company paid for everything. So more or less was free flights to Australia and you landed in Melbourne, was it?
7: That's right. It, it was actually the Australian government that paid it. Uh, but you're quite right. Uh, we flew. Uh, I flew there and landed eventually in Melbourne uh, and started work for the Victorian Railways.
3: And how long did you work in Melbourne for before you decided that you were feeling homesick
7: uh, about an hour i think <laughs> <laughs> um, I oh certainly God. didn't like it very much um uh they put They put me up in a uh a hostel that was actually obviously rat infested falling apart uh the food was disgusting uh that's the good side of it and uh I just didn't I, didn't I I didn't like it. I, I actually the, the day after I arrived I phoned the British consulate uh in Melbourne, uh, Miss Cardiff actually, uh, believe it or not, uh, and told her I wanted to go home. And she uh I went to see her on the Saturday, uh and she sort of said, Well look, you should give it a little try first. Uh and so I did. I gave it eleven months. <laughs> that was a lot long...
3: So eleven months in total you took it out?
7: In 11 months, yes, oh. and, and all uh, constantly on my mind was the thought of going home.
3: <laughs> that must have been very tough, though, knowing that you're in a place that long and all is in your mind is you want to get home. Uh, but while that was in your mind, in that 11 months, you made friends with two Irish men uh, called John and Paul. Were they also working on the railway?
7: They were, uh, but we, did, we actually only made uh, the French about the last three months of those 11 months because that's when they arrived they arrived uh, roughly about three months before I left and we bumped into each other uh, and being British we felt we were British the pair three of us we became good friends and so we used to hang around together every day and yes they did also work on the railways
3: And would you have met others along the way or what was your connection to these two Irish guys you met I mean was it the fact that you were Welsh and they were Irish and, and there was a connection in that way?
7: I think it was the Gaelic connection. Yes. Yeah, I don't know. We just we hit it off straight away, and we became good friends. In fact, the only thing I missed after leaving Australia was my two friends. I didn't miss anything else.
3: <laughs> and you all worked at, at the time. Was it Spencer Street Station? You worked in it. I know it's called Southern Cross Railway Station now, but it was at Spencer Street Station. It was known as at the time.
7: Uh, it was known as Spencer Street Station, and uh, actually, uh, uh, John and Paul worked there. Uh, I didn't, actually. Um, uh, I worked uh, at Flinders Street uh, uh-huh. and one or two other railway stations. So we didn't actually work at the same station,
3: no. But you were all nearby in in the centre of Melbourne at the same time anyhow, so the connection would well, have been well, always there.
7: Yeah, we lived close to each other. Yeah. I mean, that was the
3: main connection there, yeah. yeah. So this is on your mind still. You're, you're there now, you've met John and Paul, you, you've connected with them. And still, your mind is you want to return home, even though you're making friends and and you're working in Flinders Street and they're down around the corner in Spencer Street. You still want to come back to Wales. Uh, How did you know that you wanted to come back when you had no way of coming back? You couldn't afford the flight. I presume the pay wasn't that huge to afford a flight back to the UK.
7: No, I mean the 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 pay was, I I think, roughly thirty to forty pounds Australian pounds per month, Uh, and. I'd have to pay the Australian Government to take me over there, and also my fare back, and that would been about seven to eight hundred pounds
3: a lot of uh, money then
7: it was impossible yeah. It was a great deal of money, wasn't it yeah
3: and had yeah. you made contact with anyone at home in Wales to say that you know this is how you were feeling and you wanted to come home? Had you made contact with them or were you, you know, like some people would be embarrassed to ring home and say I'd made a mistake uh,
7: well, ringing home wasn't the, wasn't in 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 the, you know, on the cards in those days, I mean. You know, quite frankly, telephone calls international were ginormous amounts of money as well. Uh, the only way to con- to make contact was to send a letter, uh, and that used to take about a month to arrive, and another month for one to get back. And I, you know, I, I'm sure many times I must have said, "I'm very unhappy with this place," and I it was a big mistake, uh, and I will be coming home. Uh, as to how, we didn't have any idea at that particular time.
3: (laughs) But you obviously spoke all this through with your friends John and Paul and came up with some plan to see how you can get back without paying for a massive airfare. So who came up with the plan that basically you would post yourself back to Wales?
7: Um, I'm sorry to have to admit it, but I did actually.
3: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) You did love adventure, (laughs) I'll give you that.
7: (laughs) Thank you. Um, we actually went to uh, an exhibition in Melbourne, a British exhibition. And walking around the exhibition, we came across uh, a booth that was run by a company called Pickford's. And I knew of Pickford's from the UK. And it actually said, you know, we can move you anywhere. Or we can move anything anywhere, I think it actually said. And I just thought to myself at the time, uh, well, perhaps they can move me. And then when, I w- when we all left the exhibition, I went home. Uh, on my own and I couldn't sleep I was awake all night just thinking about Pickfords. and then I thought well, if they can move anything so can I um, and so I was up bright and early the next morning and I went down to Qantas offices uh, spoke with them about the possibility of sending uh, a crate to the UK COD uh, and they gave me the maximum sizes and weights and all the documents that I would need to do it and everything else and that evening I met uh, uh Paul and John, John and Paul, and um, told them I was going back to uh, the UK, and they said, "If you're coming to some money or something, what are you talking about?" And I said, "No, I'm going to post myself." And 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 uh, Paul, who was the the comedian of the three of us, he said, "Well, hang on, I'll nip out and buy the postage stamps now." <laughs> <laughs> and, and then, of course, you know, I explained the whole thing uh, to them. Um, Uh, And I didn't get a terribly good reception from from Paul because he said it was too dangerous. John agreed, you know, yeah, maybe, maybe. I think within three days, three or four days, uh, they were all on my side, both on my side, and we decided to do it.
3: (laughs) And when you mean do it, you went off searching for the crate and figuring out how to push you into the crate. That's right, and you were uh, willing to go into the crate and travel from the Melbourne uh, on a plane, on a cargo plane, maybe uh, to the UK. But how would how did you think about things like going to the toilet and how would you be able to breathe and that type of stuff? Uh,
7: well, breathing, we never thought of. Quite honestly, we never thought of it. Um, uh, as far as going to the toilet, I went on a diet about three days before, took some laxatives and everything else, and then for the other necessity, I took an empty bottle with me uh, and a bottle of water but uh that was the 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 main consideration and of course you know rather like the uh, SAS over here we put a lot of sauce into it <laughs> and, and uh so i went on a diet for 3 days and, and, and to be honest with you that part of it worked i didn't need i didn't need to go to the toilet
3: <laughs> that's amazing so uh- In the crate, you're in the crate at this stage, but getting into the crate, was it John and Paul then physically had to nail down that crate as you have everything thought out of, and and obviously it worked to some degree. Uh, Was that the last you saw of them when they put you into that?
7: Yes, Yes. Uh, the last time. So we we practiced the day before, uh, and then on the day it actually happened, I got into the crate quite early in the morning. Uh, I said goodbye to both of them. Uh, They nailed it closed and I think the last I spoke to them, I think it was John I spoke to the last, finally, was when he banged the box and said you sure you want to do this? And I said yes. And he said good luck, Bri. And I said you two take care of yourself and that was it.
3: (laughs) Never saw them again after that?
7: Never saw them again. I I wrote a couple of letters but I didn't get a reply. Uh, I I don't think that was, perhaps the letters weren't even delivered in those days. I mean, you know, it, it, you've got to understand, 1965 was a great deal of difference to what it is now, yeah. especially on communications and transport and stuff like that. And they could have moved at uh, short
3: notice if they were like you in hostels they're being put up by the railway company. They could have been moved. You just don't know, I suppose.
7: That's right. And and, and we did have this secrecy thing, you uh, see, where they guarantee because I expected to get to walk free when I got to London, without anybody noticing. Uh, <laughs> and so... <laughs> True, actually. And so we had this agreement between us that nobody would tell anybody. It would be a secret.
3: But Uh, but of course, it did not go that way because you're on this crate and this crate now must get on the plane. I mean, I would only presume that when you're on in the crate like that and it's going to be shoved on a plane, you could end up standing up or upside down. And was that a uh, possibility?
7: well, Well, first of all, I was sat in the crate with my knees up to my chest. I mean, the crate wasn't that big. And you couldn't move. You couldn't stretch your legs out or anything like that. And the first thing they did, a loaded back this side up, the first thing they did was turn it upside down. Uh, and so I was stuck on my neck and head for maybe up to 23 hours. Oh um, before they put it on the plane.
3: That must oh, have yeah,
7: felt right awful. Well, uh, to be honest, 50% of it I didn't know because I kept passing in and out of consciousness all the time. Oh God. Uh and uh And so I didn't really you know, sort of know too much about it. Uh, I must say it was a great relief when they finally turned it up the right way and put it on a plane. But yeah.
3: <laughs> I can imagine <laughs> it was. Uh, but the plane you got on wasn't the yep. plane you thought was going in your destination. There was a change. Uh, yes. Uh,
7: the first plane I had to get on, or they put me on, was a cargo plane uh, to... Uh, Melbourne, uh, sorry, to Sydney, from Melbourne to Sydney, because the only international flights in those days from Australia was from Sydney, nowhere else. Uh, and so they had to fly me to Sydney. So they put me on an old cargo turboprop thing, bearing in mind that jets had only just come into existence, jet planes. Uh, and we got to Sydney, and then I was left laying around or hanging around, hanging around in the crate. Uh, and then eventually they put me on uh, a jet. Well, they put me on a plane, it was a jet after it took off. Uh, but uh, I thought I was on a Qantas plane, but in actual fact, I was on a Pan American plane going the opposite way.
3: <laughs> and where did you end up landing?
7: Uh, well, we made we, we stopped at every airstrip between between uh, Sydney and uh, Los Angeles, um, and they finally uh, took the crate out of the airplane in Los Angeles and put it in the transit sheds. But of course, I didn't know where I was and I assumed it was a big airport I'd been taken off the plane I assumed I was in London
3: and you weren't going to break out of the crate to set free
7: well well I would have I mean that was the plan but of course by then I couldn't move I, all my joints had seized up my muscles had seized up I couldn't speak I couldn't uh, I couldn't do anything I was literally a zombie in a, ca- in a crate um, and luckily I suppose um <laughs> Uh, two chaps that were walking past uh, seen a light because I dropped the torch. I, I struggled to pick the, to get this torch to see what time it was on my on my wristwatch, and I needed a torch. And as I picked this torch up, I dropped it and it turned on, and they seen the light shining over the uh, the crate.
3: That's just amazing. They then found you and realised that you, they must have been kind of worried first when they saw and opened up the body, what looked like to them, like a body, I presume, if you were there and not able to move.
7: Oh, they didn't actually open it. Uh, they, uh, The two people uh, came to the side of the crate. They read the the waybill that was on it uh, and I could hear everything that was going on. And there was a notch hole on one of the sides of the crate and one of them bent down on his knees and looked through the notch And, well, if there was an Olympic Games going on at the time, he'd have won for a backflip because I have (laughs) never seen anybody move so quickly away from that crate in my life. And uh, at the same time, he was sort of almost screaming at the top of his voice, there's a body in there, there's a body in there. Um, And then they both ran off. And a short while later, they came back with, oh, 20 or 30 people, maybe more, uh, uh, after having persuaded their boss that there was a body in this crate uh and uh then the the head of uh, i think it was the FBI who was there with them uh looked in the crate and we met our eyes met because um, i could move my eyes you see and we our eyes met and he said my god it's it's not a body it's, he's alive and um, And then they ripped the side of the crate off and took me out.
3: (laughs) And what happened then? I mean, if you could not move when you were that ill and that weak, did they send you to hospital? And and what happened from there then? Because they realised that if you were okay, you needed to go home or that they they had to find out really where you were from.
7: Well, this is true. And they actually sent me immediately by ambulance uh, with a police escort, I may add, to uh, Los Angeles Central Receiving Hospital. And the doctors worked on me, uh, uh, I don't think it was too long before I could grunt or make a few noises. I couldn't speak properly, but I could make a few noises. And uh, somebody said to me, well, they th- at first thought one of two things: either I was a, a Cold War spy, or I- I'd been kidnapped. Um, and uh, so very quickly, uh, with difficulty, though, but very quickly, I explained to them I was I was just stowing away as one does, <laughs> um, and. Uh, Their attitude changed completely. I mean, they were absolutely wonderful, all of them. And I I spent five days in the hospital uh, recovering from the um, uh, trip. Uh, And then uh, they actually uh, took me to the FBI offices uh, in uh, Los Angeles. uh, And I spoke to the uh, director there, who was a really nice chap. I don't remember his name. And he said, "Look, Brian, uh, we're going to phone up Qantas, uh, sorry uh, Pan American, because uh, it's their responsibility. You can't stay here because you haven't got documents, you haven't got a passport or, or uh, uh, visas or anything like that. Uh, and so we're going to get Qantas, uh, sorry, I'm sorry Pan American, to ship you out. But they can t- they can send you back to Melbourne or they can take you to um, uh, England, and the choice is theirs." said, but I think with a bit of pressure from us, I think you'll
3: be going to England. <laughs> oh, that must have been a relief for you when you heard the pressure is on. And of course you mentioned no passport because the agreement with the Australian government and the railway meant you were just sent to Australia when you left. You didn't require a passport, so that, that would have been a problem uh, for the return trip as well for you. But you're in, I, I presume at this stage you would have got some media coverage as well with, with the whole story, the way you've landed there and oh. now that you're going back to the UK? In-
7: Indeed. I mean, within 10 minutes of me getting out of the crate, or being taken out of the crate, I was surrounded by press. They followed me everywhere. They were, uh, And it was world news. I mean, it was literally in every newspaper, TV, radio station throughout the world. Um, uh, and when I came back to England eventually, it was even worse. I mean, you know, they used to camp outside my parents' home. <laughs> It was
3: amazing, I suppose. In a way, <laughs> and when so you're all, you're still in. Let's just go back to America. You're still there. You're now on the flight home. You, you've got back. You're flying into London, I would presume. Is it? I, I'm sorry. Can you repeat that question? You, you're flying into London from America at this stage. When, when we just go back to the story, while while you're still in America, uh, you're put That's on the right. plane. Is it any? There's a normal flight back. Uh, it
7: was a, 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 a lovely flight back, actually. Um, and uh, it was first class, and they actually oh. introduced me, which they used to do in those days, strangely enough. They made an announcement saying, you know, we'd like to welcome aboard Brian Robson, our uh, <laughs> stowaway from Melbourne, and, and the, the, the rest of the passengers clapped, and it was terribly embarrassing, <laughs> but, but it was sort of the complete opposite to what I put up with for the five or 10 days before,
3: actually. (laughs) Totally, totally. And when you got back then to London, and you're in London in in the airport, was it Heathrow you flew back into? Yes, it was Heathrow. A smaller Heathrow then, of course. Oh, yeah, I can imagine, a lot smaller. And when you came into Heathrow, did your family meet you there? Were they aware of everything, or did you turn up and surprise them?
7: No, they were were aware of everything, uh, because uh, the newspapers had turned up at three o'clock in the morning of I don't know what day, and they said to my father... Uh, does Brian Robson live here? And said, he used to, he's in Australia. And they said, no, he's not, he's in America. Uh, and then the newspapers told him the story uh, at first. Uh, and then uh, I don't know if you remember, uh, the only satellite that they put up at the time was called Telstar. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, whilst I was in the States, they actually did uh, a live broadcast from the hospital uh, via the BBC, I think it was uh to uh my uh, my parents watched it on TV and I watched them from my home in uh, the, the hospital in Los Angeles so they knew uh, uh you know quite a lot um and in actual fact the newspaper uh took control of the whole thing over here and um sort of uh, arranged for me to uh meet my father somewhere else outside of the airport because of the uh, I gave a press conference there, under the control of this particular newspaper <laughs> but um, uh, but uh they wanted to keep me away from the press, so they wanted an exclusive on it, and so they actually hid my father away and then took me to see him, and we all went back to Cardiff and then I was a prisoner again for another 48 hours because they wouldn't let me in. Nobody could take my photograph or I couldn't talk to any other press.
3: <laughs> oh, they they claimed exclusivity over you so but What was your first reaction from your parents and your family when they met you for the first time?
7: Um, elation, I suppose. Uh, elation and, and, you know, uh, the joy of actually being at home uh, and... Oh, it was totally amazing. Not just my parents, uh, my whole family. Uh, And, uh, no, uh, things soon got back to normal from that point of view, believe me.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Very fast. And I know you're documenting all this and you're right in a new book. I love the name of the book. It's called The Crate Escape. Uh, And also, did I hear uh, there's going to be a film or someone is interested in looking at a film as well?
7: Yes. uh, I actually have a I signed a contract about six years ago uh, with uh, a production company who uh, are proposing to, to make a movie which actually has the working title of This Side Up. Whether it'll appear as that, I don't know, but that's the working title. <laughs> uh, well, that's and, good
3: considering the boxing crate you were in, so <laughs> it's appropriate, well, yes. I suppose, yeah.
7: <laughs> yes, uh, and the crate uh, 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 escape uh, it tells the full story for the first time uh, completely uh, about it. And that is available or will be available both online as an e-book or as a paperback uh, from the 30th of April this, this
3: month. 30th of April well that is definitely one that I think a lot of people will want to either get online or pick up because it is a, f- a fascinating story but a great read as well and now we need to find out this John and Paul that in 1965 were working on in the railways in what was then Spencer Street station now called uh, Southern Cross Railway Station uh, they were working there in 1965 they helped you out you were good friends but they were from Ireland we know anybody listening that it might tweak that they know that they knew someone called John or Paul that did travel on that scheme to Australia to get in contact with us and we can get in contact with you. Is there anything, speaking to the two guys, that sticks out that can help in the search for them here in Ireland? Anything like uh, where they were from or did they mention a city or a town Uh, or a coastal area?
7: Well, actually, if you'd have asked me 56 years ago, I could have told you a great deal about them. But obviously... Over the years, that's all faded. The only thing I I can remember are their names. Uh, I remember they went to school together. John had a girlfriend that he left behind in Ireland. Uh, And uh, they both were the railways. Um, uh, I've got a a 50% belief that they came from Belfast, but I can't be 100% sure.
3: Okay, so there could be... Uh, from the northern end of the country but again you're you're not 100% sure well what we'll do is if anybody here has any idea or knows of the story of someone who has or maybe somebody even here locally that has gone on that or did use that scheme to travel to Australia maybe they have some connections somewhere and if we find anybody that has connections Brian will be in touch with you and let you know but It is a fascinating story. I do really hope that you do find John and Paul and we thank you for sharing the story this morning with us and also uh, best of luck with that book as well and the film.
7: Thank you very, very much. Nice
3: to spoke to you. And likewise, Brian, pleasure. Thank you very much. That is Brian Robson there. What an amazing story. A massive response on this on text. One listener saying, oh my God, what a story, JP. If it was April the 1st, I'd be laughing, but an amazing story. Uh, and how long, I mean, it took him days in the end uh, and weeks for everything to go back to normal for him. But what a, a fascinating story and a great man. Uh, what a thing to think of even uh, back in the 60s. Anyhow, hopefully, if you know of a John and Paul uh, that travels and headed along to Australia on that railway scheme. Uh, maybe you know someone that was in a similar scheme that travelled to Australia at the time that they knew of a John or a Paul. Any link would be great to find uh, for Brian in Wales. Let us know. 1850 333 103. You can text or WhatsApp 0862 103. 103.
1: You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. C
0: 103. Trisha, with your comment, And as people
3: react to Brian's story and just say, "What an amazing story! Uh, a different story here." And this is from And uh, These are Mary and Dan, who are parents and they have small children, and they're worried and concerned about this. They say, "Is there anything that can be done to slow down the traffic in Drumahan? There is speed ramps at the start and end of the village's bush now it seems motorists are just flying over them. Can anything be done? It's just disgraceful watching this. So a lot of small children in the park and around the village uh, walking up and down is just so awful. It's an accident waiting to happen. Uh, so, well, is that something people see in? It is something we got calls on yesterday. I'll get to those comments from people that are speeding through villages. But now, according to Mary and Anne, who are concerned for the young children, uh, they say even with speed ramps, the cars are just flying over the speed ramps not good for the car uh, your views are welcome text or whatsapp 0862 103 103. it's Cork today our lines open 1850 333 your pet questions are welcome Jane Pickett of the Island Wood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket joins us after 12.30 answering all your pet queries are, you can always text or whatsapp 0862 103 103. and just a number of comments in on different issues first of all Michael in Bantry and this is on teachers and the Airbnb situation and everything we discussed earlier this morning. But on that, Michael says he got Covid at Christmas and he was on oxygen. He says if the government is serious about suppressing the numbers, they need to let the Minister for Justice give the Garda powers to find those Airbnb owners. Uh, Michael says West Cork and Bantry Town was a disgrace last weekend. On Friday, locals could not do their shopping in the town. There were so many visitors in the town. Fields, Michael. Michael says he's expecting a spike in COVID numbers in the coming weeks and regarding the teacher situation this person says teachers and getting the vaccine sooner I reckon they should get the vaccine uh, on the job they are doing teaching children but the government has agreed to all their requests so far what more do they want? Teachers with any underlying conditions will get priority and perhaps have got the vaccine already but there are teachers who should be vaccinated now and the rest of the teachers should get on with it. Think of the long summer holidays with pay that they can look forward to. I don't think they realise how lucky they are. Maybe now it's time for people to stop moaning and just get on with things, says that person on WhatsApp while Another texter says, what a shambles of a government making it up as they go along. I have no teaching connections, but I totally agree with the teachers and the SNAs. Also, shop assistants and guardi they should be given priority in the next rollout of the vaccines. Keeping the schools open is very important for the economy as this enables parents to continue working. Teachers are in constant close proximity to children indoors. So get them vaccinated and stop dodging behind excuses provided to politicians by expensive PR companies is that person on WhatsApp to 0862103103? 103, 103 and a number of people have been on asking about the hairdressers asking are they opening next uh, on the 4th of May uh, not officially it's something the government is set to address and the government may this is only speculation coming out and sources uh, from the government which has been leaked to a number of newspapers and the government is set to reopen shops and hairdressers but it's not been announced as yet and they are set to do that on the first week of May but initially they may limit access to fully vaccinated people. And the reopening of non-essential retail and services, all of this will be done on a phased basis. But this announcement on the hairdressers that, again, it's set to happen and hasn't officially been announced. But if it does get announced, it's going to be one of those so-called vaccine bonuses the government were on about when they mentioned the, the 5K disappearing on Monday and the county-wide travel being allowed. Uh, when they were mentioning all of the changes from Monday onwards, they did mention about these vaccine bonuses. And this is one of them that the hairdressers could open uh, on May the 4th, but nothing officially has been released as yet on this. But from government sources, it looks like this is set to happen. And if it does, they then may, and this is another... May. Uh, Another proposal there and it hasn't again been agreed but they could for the first while initially the limit uh, to access the hairdressers could be just for vaccinated people. So that's uh, the latest on that. When we get official confirmation we will let you know you'll hear it on our news bulletins as well. I mentioned speed earlier and people and parents in Dramahan concerned about the speeding motorists where they live. Mary uh, says the speed coming down from Rahan National School to the Cross meeting the main road is extremely dangerous. The speed of cars is unreal, waiting for an accident to happen. She's advising motorists to slow down and give consideration to people walking and living on this road. Well, I mentioned uh, these ramps in Dramahan. Mary says we urgently need ramps in Rahan. And on that issue, on speeding, Martin is in a scheme. Martin says some cars are overpowered. His car can do, if he wants, one 180k per hour but he has never and would never do that speed but he feels they all should be reduced to deal with the issue of speeding and when I mention Inneskeen there are texts are in and it's something we were discussing a number of weeks ago on the show to do with a a car park in Inneskeen and the pothole situation and people asking did it get filled did the car park get sorted we did find out it was not the council responsibility it was a, a, a private car park in the end and the council did not have responsibility to sort out that car park uh, they have worked on it before though but if anybody is in the scheme, do you know if the car park is in the same way it is if the road surface in that car park is still falling apart or have they done any work on that car park let us know on 1850 333 103 text or whatsapp 2 103, 103 and I mentioned there the Airbnb situation a lot of people running hotels running self-catering cottages very annoyed that the Airbnb sector still continues on, and you have people from all over the county who are traveling to tourist destinations and booking Airbnbs for weekend away as well. Peter Warburton he runs cottages for couples in the Skibbereen area. He joins me on this. Good morning to you, Peter. Good morning John Paul And thanks for joining us Or good afternoon I should say at this stage It's got no. midday But you run And I know last year you, you, you won an award as well Well you were you were classed As one of the top 50 places To stay in Ireland Which is a huge benefit To your business And indeed to the local region there uh, But you've been in Skibbery Now for over Is it 25 years And you've 11 That's self-catering right. cottages And you've the three, three Three houses I mentioned there as well uh, So you're you're used to How the business works It's a, a tourist destination But it must be very unfair because you're closed so at the moment but the airbnb around the corner could be open
6: i think that's right i think also i'd like to thank deputy o'sullivan for um for highlighting this and and i know having spoken to him that uh, he's spoken to the Taoiseach about this but i'd I'd like to make it clear as much as this situation um makes my blood boil and makes the blood of other um self-catering um tourism operators boil i would say that we're not looking to close down the airbnb sector it is um, it is unfair at the moment, but um, it's simply not going to happen to close down the Airbnb sector. But what we are looking for is a level playing field, and that's the point that I'd like to get across. Um, and what I would like to, to encourage the government to do, because it has to do something, I'd like to encourage the government to follow the UK model for self-catering accommodation, which actually treats self-catering differently to hotels, guest houses, and B&B. So um, if I can explain, in the UK, for example, um, the seven-day COVID-19 incident rate is 55, per 100,000 people, um, and their self-catering sector is due to open on the 12th of April with hotels to follow five weeks later on May the 17th. And their restrictions state that self-catering accommodations for household lets of a single family can resume on 12th of April. Now, this this makes, to me, this makes perfect sense. In the local electoral areas of Skibbereen and Bantry, the 14-day incident rate is less than five. In Cork County as a whole, it's 33. So that's less than in the UK. And from next week, from the 12th of April, people within Cork County, they can travel down to West Cork for an overnight stay, where... The, uh, uh, where they can travel down to West Cork for as it is, for exercise or recreation, um, but um, they can't have an overnight stay where, in our case, in our tree houses, there's no interaction or congregation with other people. It's absolutely perfectly safe. And so what we're calling on the government is to re-look at this. Um, the restrictions are due to be um again um changed uh, on the twelfth on the nineteenth and on the twenty sixth and what we're urging the government is is to look again at the self catering sector say look within the county um allow people to book a self catering cottage still just travelling within the county it's perfectly safe um because what 's happening at the at the moment, john paul, is that people from our uh, from our company they're cancelling their bookings because we're telling them they can't stay, and they're simply going uh, up the road, a mile up the road, and booking Airbnb. Now, as I say, we're not looking to close down the Airbnb sector, but we want the same Rules for everybody. That's my
3: beef. Yeah, and what do you say there regarding the COVID cases being so low in where you are there in West Cork? That would make perfect sense if people are allowed to travel. That if they open the industry slowly, it would benefit everybody. But also, you're right in the regulation point of view. It is unfair to think that if there's someone next to you with an Airbnb, they can do one thing. So you're telling a customer you're closed. They can go around the corner and use an Airbnb for the future away from COVID. Is that the ultimate aim now? And from our listeners, they would agree that if you're having an industry with one aspect allowed to do what they want and the likes of yourselves obeying by the regulations have it regulated for everybody that would be the aim I presume for the, you guys in self-catering going forward
6: I think I think so I think that the point also that Deputy O'Sullivan made in terms of the impact of Air, Air, um, Airbnb on le- local rentals for example it's extremely difficult to rent somewhere, somewhere long term here in Skibbereen I think that there's two distinct areas here you've got That side of the issue with Airbnb, which isn't something which um, greatly affects me, Um, I I actually think that Airbnb have got a a part to play in the provision of tourism accommodation in West Cork, but the rules must be the same for everybody. And at the moment, I can go on Airbnb um, and I can look for a one-week stay between the 12th and the 19th of April when everything should be closed according to Level 5, and I can find over 300 cottages to rent. That's simply not fair.
3: Yeah, it's very unfair in the industry, especially when we are level five and we're all supposed to be in this together, as they say, but it looks like we are not. So while you you, you would like for things to reopen sooner, for the future, a model needs to be put in place for the regulation of all of the industry together rather than half it doing one thing and another doing another thing. But uh, before I let you go on the, the fact that hopefully in the summer, things will reopen, how is business looking for yourself now when things get to reopen? I mean, are you taking bookings at the moment? Are you looking forward yeah, to the it's, summer?
6: It's, it's, it's hugely ironic, John Paul, because um, uh, now actually we can't take any more bookings because all of our dates are full from people rescheduling their dates from 2020 and the first three months of 2021. And so um, we've lost 1,600 bookings um, from last year. It's a lot of bookings. Um, you know, at 300 euros of bookings, you can you can do the maths on that. Um and those people now are coming this year. Uh, and we're really looking forward to seeing them. And, and if, if any of our guests out there are listening, the patience, the understanding, the kindness that they've extended to us whilst we've been closed has kept us going. Um, but, yes, we're going to be full this summer, but we'd love to be full from next Friday or the fri- next Monday or the Monday after or the Monday after that. It's completely safe to do so. Our guests want us to open. Um, and if if they can't come to us, then they'll book an Airbnb.
3: Yeah, true. So if they, they want to go and visit the area for the next few weeks, if you're not open, you're right that they'll go elsewhere. Uh, but they, they won't want. have the treehouse option that you have. I presume they're very popular, are they? Peter? They look amazing. They
6: are. I mean this is this is in some ways it makes me smile. I'm sitting here with my back to three treehouses, <laughs> which are sitting amongst the the pine trees. Um, in terms of um, benefit to someone's physical and mental well-being. They've got their private hot tubs overlooking the Skibbereen countryside. It would do people the world of good, physically and mentally. And it's safe. They're all COVID, um, COVID friendly. It's safe. We can open. Just let us do so. Just within the county to start off with. And then gradually, as things improve, you know, we'll look forward to the country opening up nationwide. But in the meantime, there's hundreds of guests out there in Cork wanting to come and stay in our tree houses and other cottages, but we have to tell them, according to the regulations, we're sorry you can't.
3: While the Airbnb is allowed to open and allow those people to come in, which, again, is is very unfair. Uh, Peter, best of luck for the summer. Hopefully you you are going to have a really busy summer and you'll get packed out there in the Colleges for Couples in Grove House and Skibbereen. And thanks for contacting us this afternoon and joining us. Thanks, John Paul. take care Peter Warburton there uh, our, from cottages for couples in Skibbereen and those tree houses as well and hopefully all the tourists and the, the local tourist industry will do well this summer but you can see why they're annoyed with what is going on in regarding air b and Bs on the hairdressers and this is only a proposal at the moment nothing set in stone yet but it looks like they are going to open on the first week of May and one of the uh, limits on this is that it could be just opening for fully vaccinated people so I'm not happy. Uh, on text uh, this person says no hairdressers open we are all in this together it's not fair if they only open for vaccinated people they should remain closed if that is the case and another person says if the hairdressers open for those who are vaccinated it is really sticking both fingers up to those people who are not vaccinated and also to those people who did not break the law for the last 12 months on text to 103, 103 our Garda file is next The C103
0: Cork Diary With
3: Cork County Council's Community
1: support programme. If you or anyone you know needs help in accessing non-emergency and non-medical supports or advice, see corkcoco.ie.
3: Mornabby Ladies Football Club they will host a virtual family bingo on Zoom. That's on tomorrow night starting at 8 o'clock. If you want tickets get them before 2 o'clock tomorrow and you can check out the club's social media for full details. And Kildallery Home Bingo, that continues The books cost €5. They're on sale in Kildallery Post Office O'Sullivan, Centra and Kildallery Community Office. They're also on sale in Mitchellstown, in Myers, Maxwell, and Thornhill's Opticians. And you can get full instructions on how to play there on the card when you purchase those proceeds from this. They go to support the Kildallery Community Development and Kildallery GEA.
0: Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 2103
3: 103. And it's time for this week's Gardafile. I'm joined by Sergeant Connor McCarthy. From Bandon Garda Station. Good afternoon to you, Connor.
8: Good afternoon, John Paul.
3: And, and welcome along. This is your first Garda file, is it? That's correct, yeah, of course. <laughs> maiden Voyage. A maiden Voyage. Well, we'll start this uh, voyage, and uh, unfortunately, a number of break ins in various areas of the county, and we'll start with Coachford. That's
8: right, John Paul. Um, Garda and Coachford are currently investigating a burglary which occurred on the 31st of March in the Peak area. Uh, this occurred between 11am and 4pm on the 31st. Um, entry was gained to the house via window and again a number of uh, jewellery items were stolen in the course of the burglary. Um, we are just asking if anyone has information that they contact Guardia coach or Garda station.
3: And something that people would want to be wary of when we were mentioning break-ins is lawnmowers. And this is a Husqvarna lawnmower and it would be an expensive one I would imagine stolen from the Bandon area recently.
8: That's right, Jean-Paul. The Husqvarna LC353, the lawnmower, was stolen from a property in Bangla. The lawnmower is red in colour and it was relatively new. uh, It was stolen from an outside shed, which was unlocked. The item is distinguishable um, and this time of year, I suppose, gardening equipment um, are used regularly and should be locked in your garden shed after use. I think it's the time of year that's in it, this, these items will be uh, very advantageous uh, for criminals to be uh, attempting to steal.
3: Very true, and this is an unusual one. As we go to uh, Toher near the Manway, fencing posts were stolen here from a farm.
8: That's right. Uh, between the 26th and 28th of March, a number of fencing posts were stolen from a farm in Toher. Uh, there were eight strainer posts and there was also three round bales stolen. So, again, it would take a large vehicle or a trailer and, and jeep of some sort to be able to take or track or even take uh, um, these items. And so if anyone that saw anyone or a vehicle that was uh, suspicious or acting out of the ordinary in the Demandway area, they can contact Gardia and we for investigating this theft.
3: And Gardia and McCroom are investigating a theft of home heating oil. This is from a property in the Kilmichael area.
8: That's right. A large amount of heating oil was taken from a tank at the side of the house. And this occurred in the recent times. And we again asked for the public's assistance if they saw something or someone which looked out of place. They can contact Gardaí and McCroom uh, in relation to this. Homeowners are asked just to be vigilant of the amount of oil they're using and to keep an eye on their tanks as it can, uh, some oil can be taken from the tank and it may take a number of days before it might be noticed by the homeowner.
3: Yeah, I haven't heard of that happening now in a while so just to be aware to people right across Cork that that could happen and to Alihees where a generator was stolen from a container.
8: That's correct. A generator was stolen from a storage container in a workyard in the Alihees area between the 2nd and 3rd of April. A van would have been needed to remove the generator from the area so if anyone noticed, anyone acting suspiciously again or someone out of the ordinary uh, in the area, just to get in contact with Gardy and down there. And it's just uh, it made it very important that people, just if they do notice any of these vehicles acting suspiciously in the area, that they may take down the registration number and pass it on to the Gardy
3: And then, this is unfortunate for the person who owns this property, but graffiti sprayed on a property in Banton town.
8: That's right. Um, on Friday night into Saturday morning, on the 2nd ter- to 3rd of April, uh, approximately midnight, graffiti was sprayed in a property in the Glasson Road area in Banton. Um, we're again asking for any, if anyone noticed anything suspicious on the night around this time, so please contact back. Bandon Banton Gardee. Uh, they might have seen someone acting suspiciously in the area and uh, any information, no matter how minor they feel it is, would be greatly appreciated.
3: And we, as we mentioned, a lot of the break-ins there in homes and maybe in businesses as well. I suppose the timely advice for people to be careful, especially when we mentioned the uh, lawnmower that was stolen there for garden sheds, just to have your shed securely locked up.
8: That's correct, uh, John Paul. Just at this time of year, people will be getting back out into their gardens and, and do, doing maintenance and planting and whatnot in the area. So it's important that they do. Uh, look after their equipment and where their storage. Um, it's important to ensure sheds are locked with the use of padlocks. Uh, doors and windows are particularly vulnerable and prone to damage. So you should consider fitting metal grills or strong mesh to the windows and a neck curtain inside to prevent a person seeing in. Doors should be secured with a mortised deadbolt bolt or good security quality clothes shackles, padlocks as appropriate. I can, if there, if you have an alarm system in place, maybe it's connected to the uh, shed, if that is possible. And people should also try to put a mark on their tools. Uh, a good example would be to put their air code um, onto, their, uh, onto their equipment. A disconnect as a deterrent can make it difficult to resell stolen tools. And just the final point on that would be just that they might take a photograph of the item. And, and also, just for scale, maybe stand beside us or whatnot, and at least we have a we have a picture to work on it if, if the item becomes stolen, we can hit with us in tracking it down.
3: And something else, when the restrictions will ease and people can travel inter-county from Monday, uh, people will be travelling, they might be parking up in certain places like a beach or, or a woodland where they wanted to visit a lot over the last four months and could not, but be careful because if the car is left and there's something on display, uh, thieves will be watching out for this now from next week.
8: That's correct. Um, the opportunist thief will not hesitate to um to break into cars, or if they see an opportunity to, so we encourage people not to give them that chance. Uh, the advice is to just ensure that they don't have any of their uh, goods on display or any valuables left on display in the car, and just be aware of their surroundings and ensure that they do lock up the car and this is particularly relevant to people who, who may park their car at nice in their homes, in their driveway, that it's important just to take all valuables in out of the car and to ensure the car is locked, as we don't want to give these, uh, these any opportunity to, uh, to to take property that doesn't belong
3: to them. And very finally, some good news. And this was something we had on the Garda file a number of weeks ago, and it was the theft of a vintage tractor. And it's been recovered, but not where we would have thought, but it's been recovered anyhow.
8: That's right. Um, on the previous Garda file 25th of March, uh, we saw the public's assistance involving the theft of a vintage tractor from the Skull area. And I'm delighted to report that the tractor was co- recovered in County Ross Common and has since been returned to its owner. Um, the file is being prepared on the matter and, and um, we're delighted with the assistance that the public have given us in relation to this uh recovery of the, um, the aforementioned tractor which uh, is not a small item to take but thankfully it, di- it travelled a long distance but it's back home where it needs to belong long now so.
3: Yeah, unusual ended up that far but well done you've, you've got it recovered anyhow and that's the main thing. Uh, Connor, well done your first Gardafel no fear of you thank you for joining us and we'll chat again.
8: No better. Take care. That that is
3: Sergeant Colin McCarthy joining us from Bandon Garda Station with this week's Garda File.
0: Today on C 103 Call Patricia with your comment 1850 333 103
3: And just on some news coming through you would have heard earlier that Monaghan GAA they were in the news because they had been training and of course they should not have been training. Well in the last few minutes Monaghan Senior Football Manager has been suspended after 12 weeks for Twelve weeks after the group were training and that session was held last month. Seamus Mcanenney has received the same punishment as the Dublin GAA boss Desi Farrell following a similar incident that occurred last week. Monaghan GAA has acknowledged there was a breach of COVID-19 regulations and guidelines by the team and the manager has admitted that holding a training session was a serious error of judgement and has apologised unreservedly for what has happened in Monaghan but for the moment now Monaghan Senior Football Manager uh, Seamus McEnany he has been suspended for 12 weeks after that incident on the group training session that was held there in Monaghan in the last month. Uh, we go to our vet slot very shortly with Jane Pickett. While we're waiting to go to Jane, uh, just can I give a mention to Bantry and the fire service in Bantry who did great work overnight? You would have been aware you heard this on our early morning news bulletins and also uh, over the news bulletins across the morning here. The crews from Bantry fire service were in attendance at a large gorse fire. Uh, this started off in the early hours behind Bantry Town but then as the morning went on the fire had spread to the townland of Trolleybourne uh, just near Bantry so anybody in the bond area would have been aware of this. In the end road motorists were asked to slow down as it got out of control thankfully uh, even though the fire crews were there all overnight they did manage to uh, sort a lot of this. It's probably still ongoing because gorse fires are uh, difficult to control and last week the There was an issue, and it came from the department, Uh, they issued a statement to warn people that conditions were rife for these gorse fires and for people to take care uh, in certain areas because of this. And then we saw gorse, gorse fires in various areas of the county and last night into this morning it was Bantry and I'd imagine it was kind of scary at times for people living in the townland of Trolleybourne and near Bantry watching the flames continue but well done anyhow to the fire service on their work that they have uh, continued to do over the morning so well done to you guys there in Bantry fire service and a lot of people acknowledging your work this morning on the phones and indeed on the text as well. Now Jane Pickett of the Island Wood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Military Veterinary Group joins me as usual. On a Thursday afternoon Good afternoon to you Jane
2: Good afternoon How are you doing? I'm
3: fine How are you? I'm okay thanks That's good Now let's get a lot of questions in So we'll get straight into them And this one is from Jim Who says Jane I have an 8 year old cross Jack Russell of late I got a female So I have the 8 year old cross But of late he's got a female Jack Russell Now it's a pup And he's asking Would the female Jack Russell pup is she in danger with the older dog, the eight year old dog?
2: Yes, potentially. Um, I would say if, if it's a pup, it, I, we don't have any information about what age it is, I assume.
3: Just the but pup doesn't say the age, no, yeah, just the pup. Just but the, the pup. older one That's is eight okay. years old.
2: Older well, one is eight years old. So um, a, a male at eight years old would still be fertile. So they would potentially pose a bit of a danger for, let's say, an unwanted pregnancy in the young pup. What I would say is that um, depending on the age of your puppy, may or may not be old enough to be spayed yet. Um, so normally, uh, depending on the breed, and particularly in small dogs, they should be able to be spayed. So that means removing their womb and their ovaries so that they can't get pregnant essentially um, and avoids unwanted litters of puppies. They can usually have that done from about six to eight months of age, even a little bit later if necessary. So I would say that, yes, you would pose a danger um, if you can get her spade at her age, speak to your local vet and have a chat about that. It might be best to get it done sooner rather than later. Um I suppose the one thing to mention is there always used to be a bit of an old wives tale about letting um yeah, let's say young female dogs have a season before you spay them and we know that there's no real evidence base for that however it really does depend on the size of your dog so let's say a very large breed dog they mature at a slower rate than a very small breed dog such as this jack russell so that might affect the time that will be the ideal time to spay so it's best um, depending on the breed of your dog to have a little chat to your vet um, and just discuss what the, the best timing is but i i think to avoid any unwanted pregnancies that would be the best thing to do in this situation
3: and an interesting question here from phil who says Does essential oils in a diffuser in rooms, can that affect dogs?
2: Um, Potentially. It's not something I've thought about before, I must admit. But potentially, yes, I suppose in in the same way that anything kind of aerosolized, um, if we're breathing it in or exposed to it, can affect us. It's similar for for dogs and cats. The one thing I'd say is, let's say, about essential oils or herbal medicines, is just be very careful what you use around your pets. Because although they might have, you know, they say their safety may have been explored in humans, none of that has ever been done for dogs and cats. So let's say, um, at home use of essential oils or herbal medicines is not something I normally recommend because for pets it's never been tested, and we have no idea if it's even beneficial, or and, and more importantly, we have no idea what safe levels are for it to be exposed to. So to be honest, what i suggest is if you're using quite a hefty amount of essential oils in your home, it might be best to use them in areas where your pet. I wouldn't be spending a lot of time um, because I suppose we don't know exactly what it what it could do, whether it could be harmful or whether it's perfectly safe. There's no way of knowing, I'm afraid.
3: OK, yeah, interesting one. Hadn't thought of that either before, but uh, yeah. best of luck with that, Phil, yeah. And then more and more people are using those now, I suppose. It is something that uh, they should be thinking of. Uh, Mary is in Buttevant. She has a gun dog. Now, the gun dog is four years old, but she can hear a lot of noise in his intestines and he is off his food of late. Mary says he is warmed regularly. Uh, what could be the problem here.
2: Okay, so I think it's it's a good step to think about worming first and foremost. Normally, in uh, an adult dog, let's say over six months of age, and um, they need to be wormed at least every three months, but potentially more often depending on their lifestyle. Um, so it's good that that's up to date. Um, Gargling or kind of what we call borborygma is the the technical name for a kind of rumbly tummy. It could be caused by a number of different things. Um, Sometimes it's very normal. Sometimes it can be to do with gas production, depending on what diet the pet is on. So if the diet has changed recently, then that might be the culprit. Um, but if it hasn't, I'd be a little bit more concerned. I think the the really key thing from this one is that the owner reports that are, the dog has been a little bit off food recently. So I always say that any change for your pet is always something to be investigated. So if your dog has been a little bit more off food and the food hasn't changed recently, that's a, really a red flag From maybe saying, you know, better better safe than sorry. It's best to go to your vet and get a, get a full assessment done. When they're in with us um, for a full physical exam, we'll be able to talk to you about the dietary kind of preferences, any kind of things they might be eating at home or exposed to, make sure their parasite control is up to date, but they can also assess um, how comfortable they are in their belly, so we can also feel the belly, palpate the intestine, so feel the intestine to a degree and your vet might might advise that it's nothing at all and we don't need to be worried or he might advise that further investigation such as the scan or an x-ray might be required so i i think if it is a change for your pet and there is a reduction in appetite it is something to get checked out
3: now I have an email here from Martin. I don't know if you can answer this or not. It's to do with goldfish. He had three goldfish and some frog frogs that were in his pond. But now the other day they were shocked when they went out and the goldfish and the frogs were gone from their pond. The largest goldfish was found dead nearby. He's saying presumably this was a bird and if it was a bird, any type of bird and what's the best way to prevent this happening again?
2: To be honest, goldfish and wildlife is not my strong suit, <laughs> so I'll put my hands up and say that first. But what I would suspect is, I think our listener might be right. It's probably um, it's probably a, a predator essentially, so it's probably a bird or a. A member of the wildlife it could be it could be anything anything that might be feasibly able to reach into water um to to retrieve some prey um it's really sad that this has happened um but it is it is something that does happen in in pets that are housed outside sometimes i think if there is any way of kind of restricting access of wildlife to the to the little pond area then that would be good however one thing i would say is let's say putting any netting over it or anything like that I will be a little bit concerned about doing because you never know the small bird might pop in through it just to go and bathe in the water and then get stuck so you could have a second problem on your hands with it not being safe for the wildlife around Um, it's a really really difficult one and i'm afraid i don't have a good solution i just empathize with the the loss of your goldfish i'm afraid
3: yeah, it's a tough one. All right. Hopefully uh, yeah. it wasn't anything uh, sinister and it was one of the birds. Anyhow, uh, best of yeah. up with that, Martin. And I have two questions for Jane asks Richie. First one is to do with chickens and he has chickens in a pen, but one of the chickens is black in colour. He does not know the breed and she's after getting extremely fat over a few weeks. She's only about three months old, but has big lumps of soft texture. Any idea what this could be?
2: big lumps so I I assume this is let's say big lumps on the skin or big lumps on the undercarriage um it could just be that she's putting on weight but if there's a visible kind of let's say normally their their outsides their skin should be quite smooth there shouldn't be any obvious undulations underneath or under the skin so I will be a little bit concerned this is one that without seeing seeing the little chicken in the flesh and examining it it will be a little bit difficult to understand exactly what's going on So um, if you have any doubts or you can see kind of undulations or or bumps or lumps, then I would advise visiting your vet. Unfortunately, this is not one I'd be able to to make a a good stab at answering, I'm afraid, without without seeing the chicken in question.
3: Yeah, um, well hopefully that helps uh, Richie anyway but he has another question here. This is, uh, we'll go away from the chickens and the goldfish for the moment and we'll go back to the pets and Richie's has a dog, a corgi who's about nine years old. She is in good health, I think he says but she sleeps a lot of the times and this is more recently. Shall I get her checked or is that normal for her age?
2: It could be normal. Um, I think as long as she's otherwise happy and healthy in herself so eating and drinking like she normally does is lively when she's out in her walk like she normally is and um, hasn't been kind of moaning or groaning showing any signs of discomfort she seems otherwise happy in herself and all of her normal functions are happening so peeing and pooing is normal there's no vomiting and diarrhea I would say it's probably normal Um, our sleep cycles very much change as we age and it's exactly the same with dogs and cats. So we do find that similar to in, in the older population of humans, sometimes um, dogs and cats as they reach, let's say their older years, they may find that they sleep a little bit more, um, kind of, let's like say, being very active might take a little bit more out of them and they might need a good kick to recover. Um, so I'd say it sounds most likely like it's going to just be normal ageing change. But just keep a keep a weather eye on their other vitals. Just make sure they're eating and drinking OK and they're acting normally otherwise apart from when they're asleep. And, and if you have any doubts, is your bet. But I think it may be normal.
3: And just going back to the Jack Russell, we had the very first question from Jim and in relation to the pup. Uh, he, and just one thing he wants to clarify here, he says in relation to the Jack Russell pup, he wants to know, would the older dog be jealous of the pup if you left both of them off together? Could that be a possibility?
2: Oh, I'm sorry, I misunderstood the question. Um I don't think so. Generally, dogs integrate quite well as long as they're introduced carefully. What I'd say is the main thing when you're introducing two dogs to each other and having them in the household and letting them off kind of to play together is just make sure that they have plenty of opportunity to retreat and have some quiet time on their own. So, you know, I suppose just keeping them in together the whole time, particularly the older male, if he was used to kind of ruling the roost before this young, young little pup came along, he's probably going to have a lower tolerance for her small antics and being very energetic. So he probably might want to go off and spend some time in his own. Um, so I think. Time apart is really vital with keeping the peace, particularly when you're introducing a new pet into the household. But I'd say just monitor them carefully. If they haven't met each other yet, just make sure that they meet each other on the lead and and that initially their playoff off off the lead is supervised for a little while until you're really comfortable that they're happy and they get on well together. And I'm, I'm sure they'll be good friends eventually.
3: Yeah, hopefully they are and hopefully it works out for you, Jim. For the moment, Jane, thanks for joining us and have a good week. And we'll chat to you again here next Thursday.
2: You
3: too. Thank you. Thanks, Jane. That is Jane Pickett there of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary. My thanks to Bernie Murphy, who produced. We're back again tomorrow morning from 10 a.m. with Cork today. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday afternoon. I'm John Paul McNamara.
1: Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from ways to win and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years.